deep cleaned that place, scrubbed until our fingers hurt, and we created my home. And it was the first time that I felt this sense of like, it is my job to create this feeling in this home, like the sense of home. Like this is my family, this is my husband and me, and I have a responsibility here to create the feeling because I, I feel that it's the people living in the home. And so we put in the work and then we created our home. Imagine moving thousands of miles away from your home to a foreign country where not only do you not know the language, but you don't know anyone besides your husband. That's been the reality for my guest, Jess Toulson, more than once during her marriage. Her husband is a professional basketball player, and they've had to make international moves several times over the years. She's learned firsthand that creating a special feeling in your home is as much about determination and grit as it is about decorating with beautiful things. Today, she's also sharing how her family has dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic while they were living in Spain. Welcome to Heart of the Home, a podcast exploring the personal histories that inspire our surroundings, candid conversations about the stories behind the pretty pictures, tales of design and renovations gone wrong and right, because a home isn't just a structure filled with themes, it's the people who live there. So join me as we explore the unique stories that help each of us find our way home. I'm so excited to have you here. It's so great to be here. I know. We met, God, when did we meet? Like a year ago? Yeah. We met so? in person one year ago. Yes. And, so, and I feel like I've just loved you ever since. I know. Me too. <laughs> it's fun when you have like, you meet those people that you've met online for a while and then you meet in person and, and you kind of instantly become fast friends. And that was sort of how it was for us. Yeah. Because to me, it's like you can create a great connection with someone through like social media, but then it's like next level when you meet in person. You're like, oh, wait, I love them just as much and more even in person. Yes. You know? And it was fun to see the launch of your company. Tell us about Mixers. Oh, you're so nice. Um, Yeah, so we've been in business about a year. Mixers is a company where we provide supplements for hormone health. So women that are struggling with PMS symptoms, mood swings, anxiety, depression, all of the internal struggles that women um, commonly face, we provide supplements that can help change your life is what we like to say. And our, our main product is Her Time, which is specific for women during their menstrual cycles. Yeah. And I've tried out those products. I love you. And I love them. <laughs> we love you. Yes. It's um, it's fun to see women of our age. I mean, we're not like that young, right? But it's fun <laughs> to see people sort of take entrepreneurial passions yeah. and just run with it and turn it into these successful companies. Well, and I think it's so great to see women that are in need of something and finding the solution or like, fight, like following their passion or something. We're never too old to do that, right? Yeah. And that's how I'm feeling is like so many women around us are like just going after it. And I love that. It's been inspiring to watch. Yeah. So congratulations Thank on all you. your success. Thank you. And you're so supportive. And I feel like it's always so great to create friends that are supportive of each other on their business ventures. For sure. So you're great. Yes. Well, okay. We're really here to talk about home because yes. you had an interesting journey I first want to dive into your home life, where you grew up and what your home was like as a child. Okay, so I look back at my childhood and feel like 
I must have just been like the luckiest girl ever. I am the youngest of four children. I have a mom and dad who created a home that was centered around family and the importance of awesome memories. And I felt like my mom and dad really did a great job of showing in the home how much they loved each other, but then showing us as children how important we were to them as well. And so I grew up in a home that um, family time was a must. Like we enjoyed it. It was like my parents prioritized family. We grew up in a home that was you're able to bring friends over. My mom was constantly baking and just creating that space where everyone felt really safe and welcome and warm. Like everyone loves my mom <laughs> and um, she just created such a like safe haven for us children and also for friends. And then my dad was always um, very warm as well, but also um, did a great job of um, showing in the home how important hard work is and being committed to things, finalizing things. If you say you're going to be somewhere, you're there. And so that was like the great structure, right? It was like I always felt supportive by, supported by both parents, but also we were expected to do great things. It sounds pretty idyllic. Yeah, I, I feel that way. I really, I really do. I'm like, I mean, of course, our, our home was not perfect. We fought. We had like the usual like sibling issues or like, you know, the days where it's like, mom, you're just not fair, whatever. But like really looking back, like I feel very lucky for the childhood that I had. You know, I, I always picture childhood homes that are described that way as as sort of like a physical reaction when you walk in the home where it's warm. Yeah. I had friends who had homes like that as a child and you would walk in and you'd go, oh, it just feels mm -hmm. so nice here. Did you feel that as well? Yeah. And I think that I am well aware that not everyone grew up in that home. And I had some friends, even from a young age in elementary school, I remember going for play dates at other homes. And I remember the parents arguing very openly and just kind of like feeling like we were annoying the parents by playing there. And so I, I feel like from a really young age, I appreciated the energy in my home. Like I knew that when I came home, it like felt calm and like I belonged and my friends felt that way. And so I, it's strange, but I think even from a young age, I would come home and be like, oh, home, you know? So where did you grow up? We grew up, um, actually, I lived up here in Salt Lake until about kindergarten. And then we moved down to Provo. Um, my dad is a real estate developer. And so we moved down to Provo. He developed a, a bunch of land down there. So we lived down there and I grew up in Provo and was raised in Provo until my life has moved me all over. <laughs> so you went to college there. You met your college sweetheart. Yeah, I did. Ryan is my college sweetheart. I totally fell in love at first sight. He had zero idea who I was. <laughs> and, well, actually, we've connected because you and me both were on the UVU dance team. Yes. Not together, but you know, different we've both, years. Yes. But we've made a connection through that. And my husband was on the basketball team. And I danced at UVU. And the first time I saw him, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to marry him. And I sounded like a psycho to my friends, but I made it happen. <laughs> Look at me now. You know, 12 years later, here we are. <laughs> 
And he obviously fell in love too. <laughs> I sure hope so, right? <laughs> so after you guys got married, mm-hmm. he had pretty grand ambitions yeah. for basketball, right? It wasn't just yeah. like a college hobby for him. So you know what's so interesting is when we got married and through our dating process, a process as if it was like, <laughs> but you know, the dating period, I don't know. He was actually thinking he wanted to go to dental school. And so when we got married, he was going into his sophomore, or sorry, senior year of playing at UVU. And the summer before, you know, our mind was all about dental school and finalizing his degree at UVU and, you know, where we would maybe go for dental school. And then these letters started coming in and it was letters from um, sports agents asking if Ryan wanted to be represented by them. And he he has grown up in a basketball loving family, a lot of professional athletes, but that had never been something he had thought he was good enough to do, even though everyone else knew he was good enough to do that. But he hadn't believed it. And so when these letters started coming, it was like, well, wait, should I look into this? Like, do you really think I can do this? And so we, I just, I'm big on like, what do you have to lose? Why do we not try it? And at this point, we're like, we're so young, right? Like, really, what do we have to lose? Nothing. We have zero money. Mm-hmm. We like are like... No commitment, no, no commitment, No kids, no, like, we can totally take off on an adventure. And even if it's a for a year and it doesn't work out, like, it was a cool experience. So we started having, well, he started having these conversations with these sports agents. And a lot of them seemed really sketchy, and they were. And then we stumbled across this one agent that really just helped us see the the vision of what we could do. And that was more so the focus of playing basketball in Europe. And I had never heard of people going to Europe and playing basketball. Like, I had just never even heard of that. It's like the NBA mm-hmm. or that's all you know. And so we made the decision like in that summer – okay, like we don't really know what we're getting into, but let's let's try. Let's go on an adventure. Yeah. So yeah. where did you move first then in Europe? Okay, so it was very much an adventure. Let's put it that way. So our very first contract was to a city called Izmir, and it's in Turkey. Wow. Yeah, so not only were we young and naive, and I mean, the world – like my world was, I, I grew up traveling a lot, but I hadn't traveled to Turkey or like a lot of very foreign countries. Mm-hmm. So my world felt very small, you know, and uh, so we took off to Izmir, Turkey, and it pushed my limits and yeah. I grew so much. And so did my husband. Just moving to a place that when I say is nothing like home. It is nothing like home. The culture is completely different. And that's full immersion into a different culture. Living there is totally different than visiting even for a month or two. Like living there, you're all in. You've hit it because my mom moved me over. My husband had to go before me for like training camp and he was going to be traveling a lot. And so it wasn't, it didn't make sense for me to go over with him. And so my mom and my oldest sister were like, we are going to travel over with you and drop you off. Because my mom was like, I cannot just send my baby 
away. On a plane. And, my, and the cool thing about my parents is for sure I was raised to be like, you are going to find your independence. Like it was not like my mom being like, oh, my baby, you can't do this. Stay under my wing. It was like, you're going to do this because you're going to be supportive of your husband. But I've got to see where you are. <laughs> and I have to know that you're okay before I leave you. And so we moved over and it was the funniest thing because we took every single thing we owned. Like we, <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing, right? Like, and this was before, like, I mean, Facebook was honestly just barely a thing. Yeah. Just barely. So like now there's like communities of like basketball wives and like their social media to see like, um, okay, this person has lived here. I'm going to reach out to There's them. What should I take? There's a network of connection. Totally. And at the time, I didn't have that network because social media wasn't a thing. So you would hear these people's names of like, oh, well, they've they've played there. They've moved there. But like, you're like, I don't have any idea how to so reach out. So what year is this? 2000? This was, let's see. It was 2009 was our first year. Okay. 2008, 2009 was the first season. And so things have changed so much. Yeah. I used to have to tell people like, let's set up a Skype date. And like, we would have to email back oh, yeah. and forth. You don't, there were, I couldn't text. There was no iMessaging or like easy texting. So it really was kind of like you were just going into the unknown. You yeah. were like, okay, let's go there. So you get to Turkey with, with your mom 13 and your sister. suitcases <laughs> with just like my stuff. So like. <laughs> I we took our CD cases. We like you guys. I took body wash, like bottles of body wash, as if like this place doesn't have soap. I don't know, you guys. I don't know. We laugh about this nonstop because like we showed up in a one bedroom tiny apartment with thirteen suitcases, like not even a place to like put this. Up. It was like a studio apartment, like you would imagine in New York City. And I'm like, I don't even know where all this stuff's going to go. But let me tell you this. This home that I was supposed to then live in for 10 months did not feel like home. It was covered in, I mean, it's a rental. The teams are always responsible to like put us in homes that are fully furnished. Since this time, we've got a lot uh I mean, my husband had to prove himself and now our contracts look completely different than they did at that time. Like we weren't, we didn't have but the But when we're a rookie. When we're a rookie, we're going into it. Like this team's taking a chance on us. So you kind of just take what you're given. Oh yeah. But you talk about home and like the comfort that I faced as a child, like that I was given as a child. And when I arrived to this home, <laughs> you can call it that, in Turkey, it I, I mean, I immediately was like, this, this is going to test me. This is going to test me. It was covered in dust. Like the couches had these huge stains on them. And I'm big on like being optimistic and finding the good in things. And um, I've learned that from my mom. And so we walked into the place and my mom was like, well, looks like we're going to take a great trip to Ikea. <laughs> we're going to get this cleaned up and you're just going to feel, and I, I mean, I remember thinking like, my mom, like, you're not going to leave me here, are you? You know, is the first time like, oh, so my, I remember like, it's probably even going to make me cry. My mom and my sister, they just like immediately started getting on their hands and knees and like scrubbing this place because they were going to leave me here. And, um, 
We did. We went to Ikea. I had no money. Like my husband just barely had started playing. We had like no money to our name. My mom like bought us Ikea stuff and was like, you're going to make this work and you're going to you're going to blossom here. And so we spent like three days scrubbing. And um, I mean, gross. I mean, if toilet stains, like just so bad, so, so bad. <laughs> but we did. We we deep cleaned that place, scrubbed until our fingers hurt, covered the gross couches with, you know, big blankets, got cute pillows, hung up some pictures, put all their weird trinkets away in boxes, and like, <laughs> you know, and we created my home. And it was the first time that I felt this sense of like, it is my job to create this feeling in this home, like the sense of home. Like, this is my family, this is my husband and me, and I have a responsibility here to create the feeling because I I feel that it's the people mm-hmm. living in the home. And so we put in the work, and then we created our home. What was his reaction when he arrived? Um, okay. He shares this story with rookies, and so I know he'll be okay with me telling you this. He arrived and he has served an LDS mission in Guatemala and lived in the worst circumstances ever. And so he arrived and he actually called me from a payphone, like calling card, you know, you think this is a while ago. And he actually started to cry. And he said to me, like, I can't bring you here. Like, I'm your husband. I'm responsible to take great care of you. And I can't bring you here. And I said to him, like, the worst thing is for you to come home and not even give this a try because you're worried about me. So like, we're both going to commit to giving this like a full go. And we both were like committed to helping each other, like feel okay. And he had the most incredible season ever. And that is what skyrocketed his career is I really believe that it was we were in an uncomfortable situation, but we had each other's backs and we had this home that we created. And then he knew I want to go to bigger and better things. So I'm going to work my ass off. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that was literally how it was. Yeah. And because of that year, he was skyrocketed to an incredible situations. So what did you do while he was playing basketball in Turkey? Okay. So this is before kids. And so luckily, another teammate had a a girlfriend and they had no kids either. So we were like, you know what? Let's explore this place. And when I say we stood out, okay, so let me create the picture. When you are born in Turkey, you are stamped a Muslim on your passport or on your birth certificate, which means from a very young age, you wear a burqa. Uh Um. Everyone has dark skin, dark eyes, dark hair. And we're these two little American girls running around with bright blonde hair. (laughs) And we stood out so much. Yeah. But the Turkish people were the most warm, inviting, inclusive people. And... I made friends with people that do not speak a word of English. And they became friends that like I would go to like 
and just need like we would get to the point where we would just hug and like they would it was like that sense of like we're friends we can't communicate with words but we can communicate with smiles and gestures and um I created great friendships there but with my friend Emmy was her name we explored every corner of that city we would take off by foot and just roam and roam and roam the streets. We would visit all of the local like fresh food markets that are just daily all throughout the city with the most incredible food you've ever seen, the most beautiful produce. We got really into running outside. It's a beautiful Mediterranean city. So we lived right on the water and I filled my time and took advantage of the opportunity to be there. That's a very positive attitude. Oh, That's you. a very positive outlook. <laughs> so after he was a rock star that first year in yeah. Turkey, what happened after that? So after that, we went to um, a team in Italy. We actually moved to Italy for the next season. It was called Treviso, Italy, right outside of Venice. And he went up to the next level. It's called EuroLeague. And so it's like the top of the top teams in Europe. And so Not he a went, bad location. Yeah great outside of venice yeah and we would just randomly go into venice for the day in rome i mean that's kind of it was a bummer no (laughs) um but that was the year i had um our first son so i had asher wow were you like okay we're gonna start our family in europe you it was a it was a decision like a deliberate decision yeah and the reason well a i was ready to have kids because i mean this is it can be considered a very lonely lifestyle because my husband travels all of the time. And so I felt ready. I felt ready to create a family, have people that are with me. And um, so, yeah, we got pregnant the summer before, and then we moved to Italy. And um, it a cool thing about it, about playing in Europe, is the teams pay for all of your medical expenses. So for us, you know, this is the first team where he was making money, which is great, but also there's all these awesome benefits. So we went and started our family and they paid for everything and they give us an awesome house and cars and things. It's all free. And so we were like, let's take advantage of this. Instead of timing, we did time to have my son in Europe versus the States because here we would have had to pay a lot of money. What was that like? You know, you have this new baby, you're living in this foreign country, you don't have the support of your family and friends, you're you know, in a completely foreign place yeah. with this newborn yeah. and your husband's gone all the time. Looking back, knowing a lot more than I know now or than I knew then, I 100% was struggling with postpartum and I didn't know. I was so grateful to have Asher and to have this little buddy and he was like the most sweet baby. He was like so smiley and happy, but for sure I felt isolated And those feelings were really hard. And I felt like I just kind of survived that basketball season until I finally was able to find myself again and found a situation where like I knew I'm really big into like my exercise and I know that that's really a positive thing for me. So it was finding the person that I trusted to keep my son for one hour and I would go out for one hour and, you know, go on a run or finally get into a gym and just kind of 
get those happy endorphins. And once I was able to realize like, because I would take him out walking and we'd get outside a lot, but I needed that me time. I'm Mm -hmm. big as a mom on like, I can take such better care of everyone else when I take care of myself as well. And I don't find that to be selfish. I find it necessary. And once I was able to like learn that, I felt like that changed me as a mom completely. Yeah. So how long were you in Italy? We were there. (laughs) It's so funny. So we were there for one year, had him, and we actually then went back to Izmir, Turkey. You went back to Turkey. Were you like, to a different team. I love Italy so much. (laughs) You want to know what's hilarious about this is when you said it's different to travel somewhere than it is to live there. We explain that to people about Italy because Italy is fascinating. You go and you eat all the pizza, you eat the pasta. The gelato. Yeah, it's that like old city feeling, the beautiful buildings. But it is different to visit there than it is to live there. Mm -hmm. Because um, in Italy, they've done a fantastic job of keeping their culture very like Italian, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. But as a foreigner moving in, you are searching for some other things other than like pizza and pasta. (laughs) You know, so like we always tell people like, it was so awesome for like three months. And then we're like, if I could only get a burger, like someone please give me a burger. So in fact, when you said like you'd go into Venice, we would totally go into Venice. And this is so embarrassing. We'd go to Hard Rock Cafe. Because, <laughs> no, like seriously, because we could get the best Italian food right around us. But then when we could go into Venice, a big, you know, tourist city, we were those Americans that would seek out Hard you Rock Cafe because I wanted food. a burger. <laughs> I wanted a burger. But that's the thing about Italy is they've done a fantastic job of keeping their culture alive and they're very passionate and I really respect that. But other cities we've lived in are more like they want to, you know, have variety. They want a little to bit see- more Americanized. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So like in Izmir, you can find, you know, not that I went there very often, but there's like McDonald's and KFC and like just kind of dominoes, those things where you're like if I want a random, like, greasy American pizza, I can get it. Yeah. You know? We we lived in the south of France for a short period of time. Yeah. And um, I would, every once in a while, yeah. go to McDonald's. Yeah. And I learned how to say no pickles in French because oh, yeah. I don't like pickles. Yeah. Right. But I wanted an American hamburger so, you so get much. Me. You understand me. So I was like, me. son cornerstone, no yeah. pickles, no yeah. pickles. Uh-huh. And it did, I mean, it tasted like an American burger, but it tasted like a French American burger, yeah. right? Like the produce, it's different. Yeah, it's level. different. It's different. different. It's, yeah. it's different there. Uh-huh. But it was still so good. Just I to know. like, so eat you understand a little me. bit of, or I'd find like the one Mexican restaurant in yeah. all of France, oh I gosh. swear, and get like a cheese quesadilla. It's like, just I know the I'm change in, in seasoning, right? <laughs> like it's just the change in like, the palate, like the the flavor profile. Yes. I don't know. Because you're like, yes, Italian food and these other, like these cultures where I've lived, like their food is incredible. And I'm all about going all in on the culture I'm living in. But there comes a point where you're like, I just need a difference in the flavor. something familiar. The Heart of the Home continues in just a moment. Hey everyone, just letting you know about our accessories collection now on Stag Design Shop. It's growing from candlesticks to rugs to luxurious throws. These items will elevate your home and make great companions to our artwork, pillows, and existing accessories. You can view the new collection for yourself at stagdesignshop.com. 
That's stag with two G's. So then you went back to Turkey and yeah. now your your son is how old now? So he at this point was one. He and then we after that we went to Spain and we lived in Spain for three years in a row. We were on the island of Gran Canaria, which was the most beautiful experience living on an island. Um, I had the most wonderful wives of teammates. We created this amazing family centered team. We all had kids. They became my workout buddies in the gym. It just was like, I felt so much gratitude being there and having this. I had a community of people that relate exactly to me because everywhere I've moved, I have created friends. I've created my people, but there's just something different about um, creating a friendship with people that are like-minded, come from the same culture. So we did our our Halloween, we did Thanksgiving, we did Christmas. So like those traditions where like I always did those before, but I would invite my Turkish friends over to have their first Halloween, which was awesome. But it's just different when yeah. you're like, let's have our holiday. So and these are Americans, Americans who were transplants just yeah, like so you. Yeah, so they were like teammates. They were players on this basketball team like Ryan. And they were – every team is allowed a certain amount of Americans. And this year, we just hit the jackpot where every one of the American players was married with children and very similar to our family. So you forged this close friendship. You were there for three years. But as it is sometimes with athletes, yeah, you have to go somewhere else. Yes. So we actually were on the island of Gran Canaria, and then we moved to Malaga, Spain for two years. So we had been with that awesome group for a year, and then we had to move. <laughs> and this was a bittersweet moment. Um, it was a great success in basketball and for my husband's career to move from a great team in Gran Canaria to move to an even even better team in Malaga, Spain. Um, they were like one of the very, very, very best teams in Europe. So like career-wise, this was so amazing. But it was so hard for me. I was pregnant with my twins. I was moving again, um, reestablishing ourselves, creating that home environment again, moving to another near, new home. And it was hard. And I had all the things, all the things. We had a beautiful home on the beach, a yard for Asher, the most incredible healthcare. My husband was playing so well and I felt so lonely. And that is just, a, that was another learning time for me that having all the things doesn't mean like happiness or yeah. joy. I felt really lonely. And I was big and pregnant with twins and so sick, so, so sick. And I didn't have my community and I didn't have the energy to create a new one. And so that was hard for sure. And this is how many moves in how many years at this point? <laughs> so let's see. Izmir, Italy, Izmir, Gran Canaria. This is year five and year six. So five moves in six years. Five moves in six years. Oh my goodness. With a baby. With a baby and, and pregnant. pregnant. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling And like, for you. here's the thing is I was aware of how exciting this lifestyle seemed and how I should soak it in. And I did. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to sound like, oh, it was so hard, like pity me. No, it's like, but there's a difference in 
having gratitude and realizing it's a great situation and this is a fun life, but also being able to be like, but this is hard. This is you hard. Can, I, I don't think you sound ungrateful okay. because I, I have been through situations like that, yeah. right? Like where you know you're being stretched mm-hmm. and you're so grateful, like opportunities are wonderful, right? Yeah. But it doesn't mean that there aren't challenges that come with it and yeah. that you're not being stretched in ways you haven't been stretched before. Right. And as someone who has very difficult pregnancies, I cannot imagine being pregnant with twins and having a baby and living in a foreign country and yeah. moving to a new place and not having any support system. That's yeah. really challenging. Yeah, it was it was a lot. But then, you know what? Once I had my twins, I had created in finally, luckily, through my son's little preschool because he was I was so sick. I did. I put him in like a little play school. They call it play school at 18 months old because he'd be home with me watching the iPad or movies for hours and hours and hours. And girls, when I tell you or like people listening <laughs> don't have the mom guilt don't because he's hurt. He's turned out just fine, but <laughs> I he's think, totally fine now. <laughs> but he was watching like so much TV, and I just was so sick. And he would cry when I would be like feeling so sick and in the bathroom, and he would make him sad, like worried. And so I'm like, he needs to go and be around kids and play. And so he went to a play school, and thankfully, in Malaga, there um, the a ton of people speak fluent English, and there's a huge community of. British people and Dutch people um, because they migrate to the south of Spain for most of the year and then they'll just go in the summer to their colder countries. And so it was actually, once I got him into school, it was the best thing ever because I was able to really quickly and easily create the community because there wasn't the language barrier as much. I just forced everyone to speak English to me. (laughs) I didn't have the energy or the brain space to... (laughs) practice my Spanish more. It was not a language learning year at all. Other years have been, but it was like, oh, okay, I have quick friends. This is awesome. And they became still to this day, some of my absolute best friends because they rallied around me when I had these babies. So you have twins at this point and this toddler running around. Yeah. Um, And how long were you in Malaga? So we were there a whole nother year, which is fabulous. I got to come home. Like we came home in the summer. We always come home in the off season. To Utah. To Utah. And then I was able to return to Malaga. Same home, same school for my son, same, you know, nanny in my home to help me, same friends. It was just like, it was a very necessary year for us to just not move. Yeah. And then what happened? And then we went to Russia. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So then we moved to St. Petersburg, Russia for two years. Whoa. And if only I could tell you all of the years leading up to us actually going to Russia, when we would talk about places we will not move, places we will not play. Yes, we hear all these fabulous things about, you know, these people that go and play in Russia, but like fabulous things for basketball, horrible things for living situations. We were always like with our friends, like in the basketball community, like the one place I will not go is Russia. Russia. (laughs) And then you never say never. You never say never. So after living in sunny Malaga, sunshine, I mean, it was the nickname was Costa del Sol, like the coast of the sun, sunny 365 days a year. 
breezy, warm, on the all beach. the things on oh the beach. Goodness. We moved to the coldest place you can imagine. Oh the sun doesn't shine for like 300 days of the year. In people's souls or in the and sky. And the people's souls are colder than <laughs> oh even the gosh. climate. And we did. We went. We went. And we signed a two-year contract. <gasps> and sometimes... um you know what? I think the best way for me to phrase this is when you when your career is riding on like you as an athlete, you know that you can't do this forever. Right? Like you your years are short they're like they're yeah. And we made that decision to go to St. Petersburg, Russia in hopes of a different life that we could set up for our kids in the future because of the financial situation. And so we took a bit of a hit as far as where we were living. Lifestyle. Lifestyle to go to Russia knowing we were setting ourselves up, even like to be grateful for it in the future. And we look back on those years as that was the best thing we could have done was we ended up actually having like the best time. It sounds so crazy, but... That was our decision-making, was we are going to be tough for two years. For a better financial future. For a better financial future. And I think people can relate to that. You kind of are willing to – and we had each other. That's always our thing is like if Ryan goes, we go. And we can do anything together. And um, so we went to Russia. (laughs) The biggest culture shock – different than Turkey where like Turkey was a huge culture shock, but Russia was culture shock because no one was nice. Yeah. So then you're like, Oh, like the movies where like they have a Russian person in the movies and they're like cold and scary. Like the movies aren't, you know how usually movies are like wrong and more dramatic. No, like like, no in real life. It's even worse. (laughs) worse. Yeah. But it was so cool because actually the cost of living in Russia is inexpensive. And you were making more money. We were making more money. So we, the team was able to set us up in the most fabulous living situation. I had a driver who became my very best friend. Yes, it's so common to have drivers in Russia. I'm not just high maintenance. (laughs) Uh, There's traffic like you would not. I mean, the worst traffic, the roads are so icy. The driving, like no one follows laws at all. So driving is just pure chaos. And so you have a driver because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to make it from point A to point B. I would have just been stuck like shaking. Yeah. So I have a driver who became my best friend. He was actually, I mean, his name was Constantine and one of the biggest blessings I've ever had. He was a member of our same church and... He was a family guy. He has his own family, own children. And he came into our lives as like a best friend to me because we were in the car all day together. A huge support for Ryan and, you know, supportive of his basketball. And then he became someone in a place that felt so scary that I trusted with my kids. And so he would drive my kids to school And it would take him two hours to get there and back. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So the traffic. Did you go with him to drive your kids to school? I did not. I did not. Because it would take him 30 minutes to school 
And then traffic would hit and it takes an hour and a half back. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I did in the beginning for sure because I had to be sure of where my kids were going and they went to this beautiful Montessori school where like the building on the outside is all like dark and scary. And I'm like, where are we taking them? You know, <laughs> and then you go inside and it's like the teachers are all like so friendly. The the inside's so bright and full of like happy playing. Mm-hmm. And it's like this whole new world. And so between the outside never having the sunshine, my kids went to this school and thrived because did they speak English yeah. in the school? It was a one hundred percent English speaking international Montessori school. Wow! So did they learn Russian at all? My kids did because I had them do like one hour, a couple times a week of Russian speaking in the school. But it was the school where most of the other athletes throughout the city would send their kids. Where. Um, Probably like, people involved with the embassy. Exactly. Okay. Embassy workers, the oil typhoon people that are living in Russia for that. Like it was full of foreign people and it was the coolest thing that my kids could have ever done. You know, especially now we we in politics are hearing so much about Russia mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of interest and curiosity into what a life in Russia is actually like. Mm-hmm. How could you sum that up for people? Okay, so I think one of the 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 elements of their culture that, that was most eye-opening to me is that um, there's no middle class. And the way you're born is the way you stay. Hmm. So I feel like in America, we're so lucky to have this sense of like, it doesn't matter where you come from. You're going to have to work hard for sure. But you can create the a American life. dream, the American dream. And it is a thing, right? How many success stories do we hear? And I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying in America, you're just set up to do great things. Right. But like there's the ability to. In Russia, you are born into the lower class and you stay in the lower class. There's no middle class. And then there's the rich and the famous and the mafia and the powerful powerhouse people that are just have more money than you could ever imagine and there's nothing for them that they care to do to help the I mean I I don't know I I there's a lot of oppression so much and it's really getting to know my driver very 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 closely um was he lower class then yep lower class um hearing family history friends really the only way out is to find a way out of Russia. And that's hard. Yeah. That's really hard. It's hard for them to leave. It's hard for them to find the way out. They can't get visas easily to live in other countries. But it's it's just a little bit of a, that was what was most eye-opening to me. And very much so, I had help in my home. I'm not embarrassed to admit that. I had a, I had a nanny. I had a driver. So you were considered... Upper class. Yeah, I was. And it was mind-blowing to people like that would come in my home and work with me. I mean, I think think about this. I had a lot of help, but I'm a single – I don't want to say I was a single mom because my husband was there, but he's traveling. I mean, I couldn't count on him for anything. So I did. I had to have help because I don't have family or neighbors or, you know. anyone. So I had a lot of help in my home to survive having toddler – 
twins and also be present at all for my son. And I interacted with my help. I let them sit at the dinner table with me. I would let them, if we went out to a restaurant, I wanted them to sit with me at the table. I would walk with them in the mall. I didn't make them walk behind me. And my driver, we hung out. Like he'd, if he was taking me to a mall, I would ask him, will you come in with me? Like I could use your help translating, but also like just come in. Don't sit in the car because drivers sit in the car and they wait outside and they keep the car warm. And so to me, that was normal. That was normal. That was normal. Like you're around me. You're around my kids. You're in my home. Like let's be friends. I need your help. But like also I need interaction. Mm -hmm. And so that was shocking to any Russian friends I made. Um, I really didn't. Honestly, I made one Russian friend. Were Russians not very accepting of American hospitality? Yeah, yeah, I've I've noticed that. I mean, it's not on the same level in France, right? But I so remember like this, you know, Americans are so warm and they're so friendly mm-hmm. and they give hugs and they, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not the same. In yeah. different countries. The one Russian friend I made, I did create a great community of friends of other women that were there. We had this international women's club and they're all wives of people that were, you know, the managers of beautiful hotels mm-hmm. or in the oil industry or other athletes. Mm-hmm. So I did create a great community of other foreign women, but I could never make friends with Russians. And I would go to my same gym every day and smile at the same people every day and get no smile in return. I'd say hello Mm -hmm. every day and never could get anyone to crack. And finally, I made this one Russian friend and I asked her, I said, Elena, explain to me, I do not struggle to make friends. And here I cannot make friends with Russian women. And she said to me, Jess, This is why she was married to a foreign man. So I think that's why she was the one that cracked to me. Mm -hmm. But she said to me, Americans trust you until you give them a reason not to. We start with full trust. The second I meet you, I trust you. You're welcome into my life until you show me otherwise. And then this relationship will change. Russians start off with zero trust because in their lives, in their culture, you don't trust anybody because everyone's looking out for themselves and themselves only. That's just Mm -hmm. how it's a hard life. And there's a lot of corrupt people. (laughs) And so Russians start off with zero trust and you have to gain every centimeter of their trust from the beginning. And then years later, you're finally. Wow. Yeah. So to me, once she told me that I learned, it's not that I'm, it's not that they're a horrible person. So they don't trust me because they know nothing about me. They don't, you know, I'm not a part of their culture. Why do I want to be their friend? What do I want from them? What you, Do you get what I'm this saying? This is so much. This is so interesting. I have a, a really good girlfriend who is married to a Ukrainian immigrant, uh-huh. which the Ukraine was part of the Soviet yes. Union. And, you know, she sometimes will say to me, you know, if I could sum up the culture difference. He grew up in the Soviet Union. Yeah. It's totally different. Yeah. It's totally different. And sometimes like it's it's so helpful to hear your description mm-hmm. of things because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Uh-huh. You know, it's like eye opening to hear yeah. this sort of description. Yeah. So you're living in Russia. You've sort of settled a bit. Mm-hmm. 
It was still hard, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How long were you in Russia? We were there for two years. And after the first year, I would say about like six to eight months in, I felt so happy there. And it wasn't because the weather. It wasn't because... It didn't suddenly get sunny. Um, no, it didn't change. <laughs> it was like my circle changed. I created friends. I, My kids had friends. They had their activities. I got myself like a really fun group of women that were from the International Women's Club, not Russian, that would like, we would go to um, museums together. And then we'd, ex- Russia, they actually have incredible restaurants. Oh, I'm sure. And amazing food. So we would like, while my kids were at school, We'd go to a museum, experience the, you know, the hermitage or something, you know, really cool. And um, then we'd go for a nice lunch and then time to be a mom. And I just felt like I had my my routine, mm-hmm. my people. And like six months into the first year, I felt established and happy. And then we went back the second year and had another great year. And then... Actually, at the end of that year, there was a bunch of corruption on the team um, and the management, and we did not, um, we didn't renegotiate to stay longer. Wow. It was time to leave. <laughs> it was time to leave. Yeah. So then where'd you go? Then we went back to Spain, and this is where we've been ever since in a city called Manresa, and it's right outside Barcelona. And how have you liked it there? Loved it. You loved, loved it. it. By this point, my kids were speaking fluent Catalan, which is what they speak there, and really cute, like family-friendly little. It's outside of Barcelona, so it's like a smaller suburban area. Really easy and happy and family-friendly and beautiful. It feels similar to Utah to me in certain aspects where there's mountains and they change colors and those sort of things. And um, and how many years were you there? Two. And we were supposed to remain there throughout this year. And then COVID hit. So your husband was having a really great season. Incredible. I had yeah. been kind of following along. He was yeah. having this great season. Yeah. Of course, COVID hit in Spain before yes. it hit here in the U.S. Yes. And I remember hearing, I mean, of course, we're hearing what's happening in mm-hmm. Spain and we're thinking... There's no way it's going to happen here. Yeah. Describe what it was like in Spain when COVID was getting really bad. Okay. So it was, this is what happened. It was the strangest thing. I'm going to rewind a little bit. All the way back in January, the whole city got sick. I mean, they closed down the school because there weren't enough teachers to teach and not enough kids to attend. Because and of that COVID. Wasn't, it was not COVID. Okay. Well, we didn't know COVID. Okay. They weren't testing for COVID. Everyone just got a really bad flu. Okay. So you didn't know what it so was. So we didn't know it was COVID. And the city was just like, this is just weird. Everyone got a random flu. In my January. husband got it. I did not get it. My husband and one of my twins got it. Are you serious? And then me, the other twin, and my son got nothing. So How bad was it for your husband? So bad. He got dengue fever on his mission in Guatemala and like brushed death. Like thought he was going to die. And he got that sick again in Spain. Oh, my gosh. And he's an athlete. He's an athlete. He could not breathe. He His head, I mean, it was just like bone crushing, but it was the flu, right? Oh, my so gosh. So his whole team, half, half of his team got it, and they didn't travel to an away game in a foreign country because n- there weren't enough players to travel, but everyone just got the flu. Or so you thought. So we thought. 
so that came and came and went. We all got healthy. Everyone got back to school. Do you feel like your husband and your one twin, did they recover fully? So the interesting thing is that um, my husband for like, I would say about a month was just saying like, it's so weird. Like I'm getting out of breath so easily. But he thought that he had just been like laying in bed for a week. And so his cardio levels had decreased because, you know, he performs at such a high level and quickly that can go away at that high level. Mm-hmm. He was still in great shape, but to perform at that high level, it can go away quickly. So he's like, okay, I was just so sick and doing nothing and my body's so fatigued. It's going to take time for me to get that back. So that was kind of like what the team doctors were saying. That was kind of what he was feeling like, okay, like it's just going to take me a minute to get back in shape. But now we know like, no, he was just still having symptoms of COVID. Yeah. And that was what it was. But that all went away. And then like everyone was back to life where kids were back in school. And then I had a group of best friends coming to visit us. I have a solid group of best friends. There's 10 of us, couples. And my friends from the states, from the states, and they were going to go all out on this one trip to Europe to come and visit us because we've now lived over there eleven years. I had a home where they could come and all stay. So I'm like, you guys, all you have to do is get over here, and I'll take care of you. You don't have to pay for hotels, like. But I don't know how much longer we're going to do this. So like, now is now the is year, the time. which ha- we didn't know COVID was a thing. Dang, still. 2020, <laughs> right? Okay, so they all made their way over. They, they made all their way over. Their they way to... all made their way over. Ten people. What month is this? March. Oh my goodness. Okay, so they made their way over. They're staying at my house. We're having the best time, and we're like, let's go. Okay, so then this is right when the coronavirus started to be a thing in Venice, and we had planned to go to Venice. And I call them, and I'm like, you guys, I'm not. Qu-. This is right before they came over. I'm like, I'm not quite sure. I have a best friend here that just went to Venice. And that was right, I mean, right when coronavirus became a thing. And she's like, she had a hard, she told me she had a hard time leaving Venice. They were like taking temperatures at the airport. Everything was just like so rapidly shutting down. And she was there for five days. So like from the day she arrived to five days later, like she said, and she's Spanish. So this isn't like so foreign. Um, But she was like, Jess, I don't know if you and your friends should go to Venice. Like there's like something going on there. So I called my friends and they're like, what? Like, oh yeah, what? no, no. And I'm like, you guys, I'm so sorry. And it's so funny because we laugh about this now. My friends, they are fine for me to say this. They do not travel. So I felt a huge sense of responsibility for this whole trip. And I just said to them, like, you guys, this whole trip is like my responsibility to get you guys around. And it is not like traveling in America and so, like, I'm calling Venice. We're not going to Venice. And instead, we'll go to the Amalfi Coast okay. in the south. There's nothing going on there. And I'm doing it. So <laughs> here's the tickets. You need to buy these. They're like 30 euro. We're going to the south of Italy. So they arrived to Spain. We're having a great time. There's no COVID, nothing in Spain. Nothing's going on and whatever. But the news is starting to talk more and more about Venice as they arrive and whatever. And my friends are like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm so glad you said that. So glad we're not going. Okay, let's go to the Amalfi Coast. We travel to the Amalfi Coast. The day we get there is when COVID cases hit in the Amalfi Coast. So we landed and I, I, we like get off and I'm like able to speak with Italians, not fluently, but I'm able to like <laughs> discuss. And we had a, yeah. And we had a driver and he asked me like, why are you guys here? 
like not in a rude way like we don't want you here but like why are you guys here like what what are you doing here and i'm like oh like we changed our trip from venice to here because you know we thought anyway and just kind of communicated with him but he was seriously like wide-eyed like okay you should get out of here yeah and i'm like what okay this is so weird we go to the amalfi coast we had the most incredible time like there but we realized and i have been to the amalfi coast a few times it was like people were starting to like they were starting their quarantine and we were there on vacation so everything was like everyone's like panicking doing the grocery shopping panic the toilet paper so all these things but (laughs) us being foreigners there were like what is going on like what it wasn't happening anymore it wasn't happening and i'm not in the italian culture i'm not aware of what's really going on there like i'm in spain so i get what's going on there and we we had the most incredible time we just were naive and just kind of did our thing, which is better because we could have scared ourselves. Cra- you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Had the most wonderful time. Flew home to, back to my house in Spain from Italy. And like within two days, the Amalfi Coast in the south was like the next epicenter. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Did any of your friends get sick? No. While they were there? Nobody got sick? No one got sick. We we were so like we're like we we kept saying like it's like everywhere we're going like a bomb goes off because then we finished our trip in Spain my friends left three days later I was locked down. Did they have to quarantine when they got back they to the did. states? They did not have to. It wasn't that yet where it was like a mandatory quarantine. But they came home and this was like when things were brand new. So they got home and all of their jobs um, called them and were like we're just so not sure what's going on. Just don't come in. But like, you're not in trouble. We just don't know what's going on. So like, mm-hmm. go ahead and isolate at home. People were so rude to my friends. I Neighbors bet. were so they rude. They probably thought they were as being As if reckless. we knew, yeah. as if we knew what was going on. It was just the timing. It was the timing. I remember watching an influencer who shall not be named mm-hmm. because it was totally innocent at the time. Mm-hmm. But I remember watching them. They had this big trip planned uh-huh. to, I think they went to New York and then they went out of the country somewhere. Yeah. And it was at the same time, kind of similar timeline, right? It was in March. Everything was happening. And the places that they were traveling, things hadn't shut down quite yet. Yeah. So as they're traveling, they're doing these stories and they're saying, the media is lying to you. It's not that bad. The media is lying to you. It's yeah. not bad here. And yeah. it's not bad, bad here. Look, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And then on their way back, They're like, they were like, just kidding. Um, it is actually bad. Like, yeah. we're just kidding. just kidding. It is really bad, you know? Yeah. And they had like this big reversal. And it's, God, I just can't imagine being in Europe as everything was shutting down. Yeah. And I, I totally understand that feeling that reversal because really all my friends and myself were like what is going on like what what is the problem what is the problem like we were able to fly what like we were able to go there the restaurants are open but then once I got back to Spain all of a sudden it was just like every big city was just like boom 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 my friends like left and two days later the school sent out an email saying like we will be shutting down then actually the next day, they're like, we'll be shutting down next week. The next day we got a text from the school, come get your kids. We're shutting now because they had their first positive COVID test in the school. And so everyone, I mean, it was like straight panic. Everyone like was running into the school. We didn't know anything. Yeah. No one knew anything about COVID. No one knew. what. 
So like at the time, honestly, because we were one of the first places to get it at the time, the thought was like, if my kid gets this, like, is my kid going to survive? So everyone's like running into the school, grabbing their kid, like running home, lockdown. I mean, lockdown. I was only allowed to leave or my husband, adults only, one person from the home, groceries or pharmacy only. And we were in quarantine for 47 days before we came home. 47 days. My kids did not leave our house for 47 (gasps) days. Oh my gosh. 47 days. And then I remember watching your Instagram and it was like, you were all of a sudden like, we have to go. We have to go now. Yeah. It like got really weird. Um, And I, I think it felt so much scarier over there because... I had friends whose parents were dying Mm -hmm. and I lived across the street from like a health clinic and I saw like the hazmat suits, the lines of people. It felt really morbid in the city. The feeling like, no, it felt dark. It it felt so dark. It felt like, so I was trying really hard in our home to like create this like fun environment with my kids. Like we were doing a ton of fun activities and trying, but honestly, my husband and I on the backside were really nervous. Yeah. Because then Trump put a travel ban to come into America and it was like a 24 hour warning. And the issue was that everyone was still thinking it was like two more weeks, two more weeks, Mm -hmm. four more weeks. And my husband hadn't been given permission from his team to leave. They had told us, listen, you can go home. He has a really, he had a really, really great team, great management. They're like, you can go home, but if you can't come back and we start playing, you've voided your contract and we won't be paying you. Oh my gosh. So that is why we stayed as long as we did. But then by day 44, they were like, season's canceled. We'll give you like 89% of your salary for the year. But like, we have no idea what this means for next year. And my husband had been in like the negotiating process for this next season. And then, so we, we finally got the permission to leave, got the rest of his payments and we were gone two days later. Oh my gosh. And flying home was the, did you see my story? Yes. I remember watching your stories and you were like, we are the only people in the whole airport. On a flight from Barcelona to no sorry from london to chicago because we had to fly home the most roundabout way no direct flights like the weirdest i remember you packing food we packed food and it was so good nothing was open i ended up having to share a bunch of our food with this lady that was coming back stateside from africa because her husband works in the embassy in africa and they like threw her on these planes with her kids and so like she didn't have even time to like grab stuff so they had nothing And so I like, we like shared all of our food with them, like, but on a flight from London to Chicago for 250 people, there were 25 of us. Oh my gosh. My kids thought it was the coolest thing ever. (laughs) They were running the aisles. The the flight attendants were like, you can have first class, you can take your rows, you can do whatever you want. I mean, it was the best travel I've ever had. (laughs) I'm used to like sweating the whole time and being so nervous telling my kids to be quiet for like 17 hours of travel. But also eerie so eerie unsure Um, what you're gonna find when you get to the states i think here's the thing is that you know in in the west mm -hmm. i think there's been sort of like this flippant attitude there has been a Mm -hmm. very flippant attitude about covid right Mm -hmm. like i'm like you don't tell me what deal this is not a big deal it's just a cold it's totally fine Uh but i have friends who live 
on the East Coast uh-huh. who have been watching this unfold. And they're like, and they're like, um, my next door neighbor checked into the hospital and he never came back. Mm-hmm. And we don't know. He lived alone. We don't know how to find his family. Uh-huh. Like they were hearing the constant ambulances. I yeah. think when you live in a big city. Totally. That people are consolidated close together. Yeah, they're living on top of each other in apartment yep. complexes and Here, big high rise buildings. I can't tell you how many times I've said I'm so grateful that I'm going through this in Utah where oh, I can spread out gosh. and I can go for a hike and I can, you know, my kids yeah. can get out and play in their backyard. It's totally different when you're in a big city. Yeah. And um, in Manresa, when we were in Spain, the first week of COVID or of quarantine, it was a man, it was a mandatory quarantine. The first week you could go out to the mountains with kids. And then after the first week, they even shut down all mountains, all like the parks and everything were closed down the first day. They were like, people can get out on the mountains, but then too many people were congregating because you couldn't get, you know, so then they even shut down the mountains and said everyone inside. So here's what people I don't think understand either. In Utah, we are lucky to live in homes with square footage. Mm -hmm. I was lucky to live in a home. It was like a condo thing. It's like five stories tall. So we had space and a courtyard I would call it mm-hmm. and we transformed our garage into like a bike room kind of like the kids could just rollerblade and bike in our garage and the second my kids would complain I'd be like let's go ahead and let's go ahead and FaceTime your best friend Adria do you want to see how he's living right now mm-hmm. with a family of five in a two-bedroom apartment oh my god that's maybe 600 square feet let's call him you know what I'm saying because like my kids obviously would start to be like, I'm going crazy. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't even get to complain. But that's the thing for me then when I came home to Utah is it was actually, I think I made some people mad because I came home and finally, like I had been talking in Spain about like, you guys, this is so scary. You guys, what are you doing in Utah? Like out and about, what are you doing? Like, I know people that are dying. Like, I was thinking people were being so naive here. Like, this is a thing. And I know it doesn't feel real to you, but it's a thing. So then I came home and it doesn't feel like as much of a thing here. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, you know, the way we're taking things. And so then I made, when we traveled home, people were mad that we came from Spain to this, to Utah. Because because they're like, you're bringing it You are bringing it. Yep. And when there's a, I had a lady write me. I bawled my eyes out because for us, what people don't realize is for us, like being able to come home was like the most, like it was like life-saving. Therapeutic. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. So like we're, we have the right to come home. We own a home here. Like we get to come, this is home. And I had a lady write me this horrid message. When there's an outbreak in Utah County, I'll be sure to let the news know who traveled home. And this is, you know, you'll be bringing this, you're going to, you're going to, feel the guilt of this like oh we've been safe here until you brought your family home there was another and, blogger who traveled from new york uh-huh. with her family mm-hmm. in an rv mm-hmm. across the country and they were very responsible they yeah. only stopped at gas stations yeah. like and the backlash oh, was yeah. just like horrible yeah i think there's a lot of fear surrounding it right we obviously know more about it now than we did back then mm-hmm. but i still think it's such, it's so poignant and it's mm-hmm. so valuable to mm-hmm. hear from somebody who has been in an epicenter mm-hmm. to to tell people like, no, this is actually really serious. And yeah, you may not feel the effects quite here yet, Yeah, but 
this is what it's really like. Right. I think that at the time when I came home, people here weren't hearing about younger cases of people struggling, you know? So, I, I mean, I was hearing about it all in Spain. I had best friends whose cousins were in the hospital, like in their 20s. And, you know, it was like, oh, the feeling here was like, oh, just the old people. Yeah. But you you did. You traveled here. You guys yeah. finished your quarantine yes, here. Yes, so happy to be home. Yeah. Um, you had a home here that's new. Yes. Tell us yes. about that. Okay, so... While living away, we built a new home and we were so lucky because we were living in a condo previously and we weren't really pushing for this town. It's like a, it's a town home so that we can lock the doors and leave without maintaining a yard when we're in Europe. And we weren't really pushing for it to be done that fast. So it was taking a while because we were totally like not here to push the project, right? But we got so lucky because it was fully completed in February. I mean, it took like 18 months for us to complete a townhome, but whatever. But it's a big townhome. Yeah, it is. It's a good sized townhome and we did everything custom. So that takes time. But it finished in February and we didn't plan on coming home till June. But the next, you know, six weeks later, we're like, we're coming home. Who's going to move our stuff over for us? Because we're coming home. Yeah. Like, get it ready. So we had... A lot of people willing to help us. We hired out people to just move our stuff. I'm like, move it from point A to point B. I just have to have, like, I just need a place to come and plop down in because we're going to, I don't know when, but we're coming home. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's been so nice. We came home and it's, it was so, um, this home is like a celebration of our years abroad because I've taken a lot of the pieces I've collected, a lot of the photos of us living in these different countries and things I remember from living these places and implemented them into our home. And so it feels like the whole home tells our story, which was like the best part. Like our basement has all of my husband's um, jerseys framed in like, what do you call them? Like the big cases? Yeah. Jersey cases. And so that tells his whole basketball story. And then the main floor, like throughout my kitchen, it has all like the pieces I've collected of like uh, wooden bowls from Spain, ceramic bowls from Turkey, ladles, cups. I love it. And it says it tells our story. And I've seen your picture wall. Yeah, picture wall. And it has our map with like pieces of um, like pins everywhere we've lived. And so it's just like a celebration of our experiences. So this is now your home base. Yeah. This will always sort of be your home base. But what does yeah. the future hold for you guys? Would you like to tell me what to do? <laughs> I keep telling people, I don't know. Will you tell me? <laughs> um, for right now, the silver lining is that I'm here to give my business mixers a real go. Yeah. Because I'm really not usually here. And I am trying to grow it from abroad. But that's tough. And so for now, we are here and I'm growing mixers. What it means for basketball is that we hope that we are not completely done because it ended on such a sad, that's like not going out with a retirement, like in, you know what I'm saying? We didn't get to have that last hurrah of like, this is your last professional game. My husband's still performing really well. Like, it's not like, oh, this makes sense to be done because you were injured a lot anyway, or like weren't really enjoying it. But for now, there's no school and there's no kids activities in Europe. So they're playing basketball with no fans. So he ton. could go over and play. He could go. He but could you go. guys couldn't But go. me and the kids would be basically living a quarantined life. And we're not going back to that same team because 
when COVID hit, 50% of their sponsors had to back out of sponsoring the team. Oh my gosh. So negotiating contracts right now is really interesting because there's no money and it has to be worth it to move. But the hope is that at some point things will start to normalize and we'll be able to go kind of have one last hurrah. What if he doesn't get that last hurrah? What's Um, in store? Yeah, that's something I'm concerned about. It's not because like my husband is actually really, really enjoying being home. I mean, it's it's been exhausting for him as well. Like this has been such a fun life adventure, but it's a lot for him. That's a lot of pressure to be a professional athlete. And trying to keep yourself that physicality up without actually playing all the time is probably hard. Yeah. So he's like staying in great shape, but like, yeah, it's like, well, what am I doing this for? You know, kind of thing. But that's something I'm concerned about is we have had people that previously just like on a whim retire and then like three years after they like have all this like regret Regret. of like not really finishing it out or like what if I would have or and that's a hard place to live and it's it's like easy for everyone else to be like we'll just get over it. But if that's all you've ever known like my husband has only known like performing on a basketball court and like that's how he's provided for our family. And then to not have like that closing chapter and like, okay, that was it. Like, that was awesome. Let's move to the next phase. That's hard. And so that's, I'm, we're on the same page as in like, if the opportunity arises, we would like to have that final chapter. But as long as it doesn't um, create too much of a negative situation for our kids. Mm -hmm. Whereas right now it's not a healthy situation for our kids. What has all of this back and forth and up and down and different immersing immersing yourself in different cultures? What are your biggest takeaways? One of my biggest takeaways is that you can create the feeling of home anywhere you are. It takes a little bit of effort, but you have the ability to put in the work and create the sense of home wherever you are. It can take time, but it takes energy and you can, if you, and if you put the energy there, you can create home. Another thing is like a, a, I have a great respect for different cultures. I don't think that we do everything right. I, I think Amer- I have a great sense of gratitude for America. I'm very like, I feel like it's created a new like patriotism to my country. However, it's also opened up my eyes to be so much more respectful of other cultures and all that they have to offer in other places do do things better than America or they have amazing traditions and things worth celebrating in other cultures as well. And I think the last thing is that it's beautiful to really open your circle, create new friendships with people that are very different than you. You can always learn from other people. You don't have to only have your friends be people that are just like you. Um, you can connect on different things that you, you know, maybe it's cooking or, and your friends right now aren't really into cooking, but you can create a different friendship with people that are into cooking or, you know, um, that don't have the same home lifestyle as you or a different hobby and create new friendships, but your friends, it's great to open your circle. You're such a great example of, of blooming wherever you're planted, like having a positive attitude and realizing that home is really wherever your family is. Where can That's people nice find you? So they can find me personally at Jess Toulson. 
that's where I've shared more of our like personal family adventures or if there if people are interested in my company and what it is, it's Mixers, M-I-X-H-E-R-S. Thank you so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me. It's been so great to talk with you. It's oh been so my fun. gosh. Okay, be sure to check out Jess Tolson and her company Mixers. If you haven't tried her products, you really need to, if you're a woman, that is, yeah. <laughs> uh, because they are fabulous and I wish you the very best. Thank you. Success. Thanks for having me. I'm Jennifer Stagg, and you've been listening to The Heart of the Home. I hope you'll subscribe, review, and rate this podcast, and tune in next episode for more Heart of the Home. Thank you so much for listening.